Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we give you thanks as we enter into your presence this morning. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know how you feel about snakes. I like some of them and I don't like others, okay? Some bother me and some don't. Like the rattlesnake that my dog took out after. I wasn't real crazy about that guy, okay? The copperhead that you find occasionally outside your stoop. Don't really like those. But I really appreciate some of them. I like the little green garden snake, right? I like, I like the way they, they move in and around your garden and around your your plants. I like, I like the big black bull snake, even though I'm not really going to get close to him, because he takes care of the mice, right? So, uh, um, there, oh, I want to tell you a story about Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown was a vet. I worked at the vet school at A&M before Kelly and I were married, and uh, he was the, the veterinarian that took care of the reptiles. And so the largest snake I ever saw came in on, uh, in a suitcase that was one of those large oversized suitcases. They brought the suitcase in, took three of them to get it up on the table. They unwrapped it, and then there was a boa constrictor. Now, I have to tell you, that one made me pause a little bit. So it seems that snakes have their place of interest in the Bible, too. You know, if we look back, uh, sin was personified in the, uh, in the image of a serpent who convinced the woman that really God did not think that she should not eat the forbidden fruit, but that it was in that eating that she would become like God. And we know the rest of the story from that. There was the story of Moses who threw down his staff at the feet of Pharaoh and it turned into a serpent and a snake. And according to Cecil B. DeMille, it caused Pharaoh to kind of back up and stand up on his throne, uh, afraid of the snake. Well, today we read a story about snakes also. This one comes from the story of the Hebrew people as they wandered in the wilderness and they camped at the base of Mount Or. Let's, uh, let's read this from Numbers. We don't get to read from Numbers very often. Numbers is in the Old Testament. It's part of Torah. We're going to read in the 21st uh, chapter, verses 4 through 9. Will you listen to God's holy word? From Mount Or, there set, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and, 
Set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is uh, one of five mummering stories. That's what they call them, mummering. You know, like mumbling, like grumbling stories in, in the, uh, the narrative that is found in Numbers. It is the time when, when the people begin to grumble or rail against or complain against the leaders who have brought them out. Mostly, they complain against Moses and Aaron for different uh, different discomforts that they have. But in this case, they complain against God for their predicament. God has led them all through the wilderness and provided. God has provided water and food and every provision that they need, and yet they have neglected, they have failed to see that, to lean into this assurance that one more time God would provide for them. So they grumble. There's no food. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Wait. I thought there was no food. So there is some food, but you don't like the food that you've got. That's what it sounds like to me. And when I thought about that, I thought about, that's kind of what a life of faith is like. Sometimes when we are asked to lean into our faith rather than something of our own creation, we become discouraged. It pushes us. At times, we feel like we're not very comfortable in this thing called faith. And this last year is a perfect example of that. The pandemic has caused us so much discomfort. At first, we couldn't gather at all, and then by the time we could gather, we have to keep our distance. One of my friends posted on Facebook this last week after her and another friend finally had their vaccines that it was the first time that they had not only seen each other, but were able to embrace in over a year. And then there's masks. They make us uncomfortable. They're hot in the summer. They're, com- they're convenient in the winter, we admit. But they still get in our way. It feels like something is between us and those that whom we talk with. There's been a social unrest this last year as well. Political polarizations like, we've, like, like we haven't experienced for many generations. A delay of our denominational concerns has also caused us discomfort. School started, but it started either online or in person with so many restrictions. Our administrators, our teachers are tired, they're exhausted, and the kids, quite frankly, they're cranky. Sometimes it feels like we've been pushed to a breaking point, and we begin to push back. What might have once been a conversation ends up as a confrontation, as we feel like we're under fire, 
as we feel like we have been challenged and pushed and prodded, that we have been misunderstood, that we feel like we are going to lose something. Something of our integrity, something of our position or our privilege or some part of our freedom. At one point I began to realize that the very breath that I believe comes from God, this holy thing that God gives us life, this breath that we share as beloved creatures of God is the very thing that might make you sick or worse, might cause someone to die. So here's the interesting thing about this story in the 21st chapter of Numbers. And that is that there the Israelites complaining and grumbling against God and turning away from God towards their own ways of doing things began to kill them. Literally. But when they realize that they have lost their way, that they cannot save themselves, they turn back to God through Moses. They turn back. They repent. This is what the Lenten season is about. And God says, take a look. Turn around and look in the face of that which is killing you. Take a look at it and you will live. The thing that seems to be bringing them death is now giving them life. So this is not a story about snakes. It is a story about becoming so bent on having our way, becoming so self-serving, so self-interested, self-reliant, that we lose faith altogether. We somehow convince ourselves that we have it all under control. And I wonder if we are brave enough to really take a look at those things that seem to be out of our control. Those things that seem to be killing us, either personally or as a people. Really take a look at them. And really let those things begin to shape us and form us and transform us. Let those things that seem to be killing us actually be redeeming us from our own selves into a person or a people who has life by the vision of God, not by our own vision. Our Lenten series has been called Declutter, Declutter Our Human Hearts so that we have room for this abiding God who wants to take up residence inside our soul and our lives. It's odd this odd little obscure story about the Israelites, some snakes and Moses and a serpent on a pole, ends up in the mouth of Jesus. It's in the third chapter of John that he uses this same imagery when Jesus comes to Nicodemus and he has a dialogue with him about the differences between living a shallow life of religious dogmatic, dogmatism and a deep and meaningful life that is built on faith. One that leads us to life, eternal life in Christ. Jesus says it this way. He says, hey, look, Nicodemus, in the same way that Moses was lifted the serpent in the desert so that the people could have something to see, 
and then believe, it is also necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up onto the cross so that people can look up and live. Both the evangelist and the Hebrew writer acknowledge that faith is required for us to be able to see beyond that which is destroying us. It requires a faith that is propelled by God's love, and that love has the power to give life. After Jesus tells Nicodemus that he is the one who would be lifted up, he explains the kind of love that God has. I'm going to share that with you from Eugene Peterson's uh, translation in the message. It is a John 3:16. We build our Christian understanding on this very um, passage. And this is what Eugene says. He said, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why so that no one needed to be destroyed by believing in him. Everyone can have whole and everlasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger at us, telling the world how bad it is. He came to help, to put the world right again. You see, friends, God puts the world right again through the strength of a love, a love that is so powerful it heals human hearts. It heals our human heart of greed and selfishness and self-determination and even fear. This kind of love is something that is done. It has an action in it. It is not simply heard or felt. It is, it is calls us into action. This love has been lifted up on a cross to overcome death, not just a physical death that is known through resurrection, but also the death by the things that destroy us, destroy our souls, destroy our hearts, and ultimately destroy our joy in life. To really live by this gospel message is to believe that faith is propelled by this powerful love that God offers. The love that is so powerful that it overcomes death. And in this love, there is this dimension of trust and a call to be responsible, as Jesus has told Nicodemus. It also has an element of solidarity with it, standing with one another during times of trouble and times when we don't feel so faithful. Throughout this Lenten series, our Council of Bishops has been inviting us into a season of introspection and self-examination. Each week, one of our bishops offers up a short devotional. You can find these on our uh, umc.org website. Just search for Bishops Lenten Studies. This last week, it was Bishop Karen Oliveto that uh, offered a challenge that I think that I could actually take on. And maybe you can join me. She says each week, you might want to read a story about your brothers and sisters of a different race or culture. Most specifically, the stories that come from our own American setting. Not the theories, 
not the solutions, not the systems behind it, not the sociological or the political landscape, but just their stories. And so this week I read a story about, about people in the Japanese-American World War II internment camps and how they were told they were going to go there to be taken care of, to be safe from uh, the threats of Japan on the United States. But while they were there, the guns were pointed on them, not on those on the outside. And then, and then uh, we've been singing the last couple of weeks. Martin has introduced us to a couple of hymns by Dr. Charles Albert Tindley, which is an African-American uh, Methodist preacher who wrote all kinds of hymns and managed to get a doctorate degree in a time when that was uncommon, at the very least, and unheard of for most African-Americans. And in our hymnal today, he has no less than six hymns that we sing. These stories don't change history, and they don't change laws. They don't change culture and bias. That's our work to do. But they change hearts. They change my heart. And perhaps they give me the courage to look up and to live. Thanks be to God. Amen.